Welcome back to another episode of Pod TST, a weekly LA Rams podcast. I'm Kenneth Arthur of Turf Show Times, and with me today to discuss Raheem Morris, as well as some potential future Rams and uh, some actual past Rams, uh, is Dave Choate of the Falcoholic. Dave, thank you for coming on to talk about the Falcons. Um, I don't know if that's something that you feel like you get to do enough of or too much of given, you know, coming off of uh, a disappointing season. Would you say that you are, um, it's hard to talk about the Falcons right now, or you're excited to, you know, talk about something other than last season? I would say uh, I'm excited to talk about something other than last season. I I think (laughs) You know, it was kind of a sustained death knell for the Falcons and the Dan Quinn era because I think Falcons fans pretty uniformly felt that last year should not have happened. Um, you know, 2019 felt like, you know, we were told going into that season that it was playoffs or bust and they did not make the playoffs or come anywhere close to it. And so keeping everyone around after that just seemed like such an odd move. Um, so it was, it was a hard season to go through because it was so predictable in uh-huh. terms of how it unfolded. But now that we're sitting here, um, you know, with a new GM, a new head coach, and, and hopefully a lot of promise in front of us, uh, it, it's a lot easier to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. New coach, uh, the former coach being, Dan Quinn, who then was fired after an own five start and replaced by Raheem Morris, who is now the defensive coordinator for the Rams. And I want to get to him, but what do you think exactly was with the Falcons defense, you know, just sticking to defense, what was the deal with the Falcons defense? Because, you know, hiring Dan Quinn, who had been the defensive coordinator for two Super Bowl teams in Seattle, two teams that went to the Super Bowl um, and two of the top, you know, and, and were consistently ranked number one in defense goes to the Atlanta Falcons where, you know, this is a pretty typical story that never plays out as people expect it to, which is they go, Oh, great. Well, you know, you got Matt Ryan on offense and, you know, the offense will figure it out. And then Dan Quinn, he'll take care of the defense. So it's a perfect story. Um, you know, and what happens is that the Falcons have a much better offense for most of those years than the defense. Why do you think that the defense never really got better other than, you know, a very short period of time, uh, under Dan Quinn? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of a lot of factors. I I think, you know, when you start um, with, with what really went wrong, it was that they never really had the talent across the board all at the same time. I think the closest they came was 2016 and 17 when, you know, 16 in particular, Vic Beasley had that career year. Um, you know, they had a pretty, pretty good, uh, fairly young secondary that year and decent set of linebackers, but it, it was always something not working and it tended to be in my mind, um, along the defensive line, you know, you, you've had Grady Jarrett now for, you know, the entirety of the Dan Quinn, Mm -hmm. um, era basically. And he was the only really good defensive lineman that they ever sort of acquired, you know, Don Terry Poe for one year, I guess would be the other, but 
they invested two first round picks in edge rushers who were supposed to be difference makers. And Vic Beasley was not a difference maker aside from Mm -hmm. that one year. Tack McKinley, uh, you know, struggled to stay healthy and, and actually basically angled to get himself booted off the team. And the Falcons finally obliged after Raheem Morris took over. Um, and those, those were sort of the, the best guys that the Falcons invested in, um, in many ways. So they just never had that pass rush that I think a Dan Quinn defense really needs to function at a high level. And that ended up impacting, you know, the secondary, mm-hmm. which never was consistently great, but was pretty good at times. Um, and certainly just the coaching, you know, it, it's a little bit hard, I think, to point to, you know, philosophically what Dan Quinn did wrong. Um, and, and you really do have to hang it on Dan Quinn at some point because he changed defensive coordinators four times, um, including taking himself out of that role after the first few games of the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, th- there was just such a reliance, I think, on the players playing really well and executing at a high level. And when that didn't happen, there just weren't any answers. Um, and it rarely happened, unfortunately. It was a, it was kind of a multi, multi-system failure where the players weren't good enough. Um, you know, the coaching seemed suspect, certainly. And, you know, no matter how many coaches and defensive coordinators they churned through, you know, it was only the occasional great game or the occasional great stretch from them. They never consistently had it. Um, and then if you throw in finally as, as the last piece, I guess, of the puzzle, um, you know, two straight years where Keanu Neal, who is a difference maker at safety, uh, in my mind anyways, you know, mm-hmm. was out for the season with injuries. You had other injuries too that, you know, and I, I think I look back at, you know, his days in Seattle and it was, it was clear to me that then that, you know, he's a good coach, the players like him, um, but certainly the talent that he had on hand, he just never came close to replicating in Atlanta. And yeah. a Dan Quinn defense without that talent just isn't isn't as good as, unfortunately, we would have liked to have thought it would have been. And uh, Raheem Morris, a lot of people would remember, you know, from the Buccaneers and being, you know, and the Buccaneers being such a strong defensive minded organization, especially at that period in time. So just strong association with Raheem Morris for defense, really, even though he's kind of was across the board. And then when he goes to the Atlanta Falcons, um, he is utilized on offense and can you explain how Raheem Morris wound up in Atlanta and the decision to have him coaching with wide receivers and whether or not that was a mistake, if he is a strong defensive mind. Yeah. So I think the number one thing to know about Raheem Morris is that he's very good friends with Dan Quinn. Um, And so that, that friendship really, I think helped get him in the door in Atlanta, but it was also clear to me that Morris was somebody that Quinn trusted implicitly. And so, you know, when he felt that the defense was in good hands, which we now know maybe wasn't the case, um, I think getting Morris, um, who is a coach that he trusts to do good work on the offensive side where maybe he wasn't as comfortable with Kyle Shanahan and then Steve Sarkeesian and, and wanted that, you know, input from Morris and and his defensive thinking um, on that offensive side of the ball. I think that's why he ended up there. 
I think Morris was probably interested to try it out too. I think if you go back far enough in his coaching tree, if I'm remembering correctly, he did spend some time on offense early on. So Mm -hmm. that's how I think he got there. Um, I think as it became clear to Quinn that his, his job was in danger and that the defense was not making the strides that it needed to, that's when it made sense for him to put Morris back on that side of the ball again, because he trusts him so much. And I, I think that it's so difficult for me to say, you know, Morris um, caused any of the defense's issues. I know he was the defensive coordinator, um, at least on paper there for the beginning of the 2020 season, which went so poorly. But um, I think when he was really in charge of this team and fully in charge of the defense without Quinn there, you know, there was a market improvement in how the defense performed. And I think at the end of the day, what I have gleaned from this and and from what I understand, you know, it it really has always been about Quinn's imprint on the defense. Um, And I think that when he was out of the picture, you got to see what Morris can do running the defense and really running an entire team. And I think that his reputation probably for being a, you know, defensive mind took a hit Um, in Tampa Bay. It certainly took a hit when he was associated with this crummy Falcons defense for so long, but down the stretch, particularly against um, Kansas city with that frankly terrific performance that I think the Buccaneers probably ripped off a little bit in the Super Bowl. um, You saw what he's capable of. And I, I think that, when he is given the power to do what he wants to do and when he is given you know even a middling uh, group of talent to work with he can get the most out of them and and that's really what impressed me about him is that you know from all accounts he did a good job on the offensive side where he doesn't spend a lot of time and then when he actually stepped into an interim role in an impossible situation he somehow got more out of the defense then too so mm-hmm. uh, to me there are, there are limitations to what we can know about how involved he was in the first five games versus the last 11. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that you saw more of his imprint on this Falcons defense as, as Quinn exited the building. Yeah. And the, the Atlanta Falcons, you know, they run a four, three and there's people talk about, you know, that the Rams don't run a four, three, but obviously, you know, it doesn't sound like the Rams plan to make any dramatic changes. And we'll have to ask uh, Morris, you know, to um, adapt a little bit to them and, and probably vice versa. Would you, for any reason, foresee any issues with regards to Raheem Morris, sort of adapting to maybe what Brandon Staley was doing successfully last year with the Rams when they did have the number one defense? No, I, you know, I think it's, it's hard to know if he'll be able to replicate the number one defense or not. Um, Certainly I think Staley deserves a lot of credit for that. And as good as Morris is, you just don't know year to year. There's some variance there. Right. But um, you know, in my mind, he, already ran somewhat of a multiple front in Atlanta. It just depended on the situation. I am assuming the Rams, just like the Falcons spend quite a bit of time in nickel to begin with. Um, and, and, you know, that's really where Morris is comfortable, but I, I believe that he's coached both fronts in his career. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe also that, 
you know, if you're saying here's Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, um, you know, regardless of how you move those guys around, he's going to be pretty comfortable with that. So um, it's certainly those two are more talented than, than anything he had in Atlanta. Um, yeah. Even with Grady Jarrett in the fold, who I think is maybe the, you know, second or third um, best defensive tackle in football. So, you know, in my mind, that adjustment's not going to be difficult for him. Um, yeah. It's just a question of whether, you know, the Rams can stay healthy and, and he can replicate what Staley did just because it's always tough to step into those shoes. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know, I knew I wasn't really aware also of just how dire the, uh, or, you know, dramatic, maybe the pass rushing woes are for the Atlanta Falcons, at least as it pertains maybe to fans who like to look at a stat sheet and see uh, double digit numbers. Nobody on the Falcons had more than four and a half sacks last year. And clearly, you know, everything sort of centers around Grady Jarrett. One of the names that is familiar to Rams fans is Dante Fowler, who signed a big contract with the Falcons in the offseason. The Rams should get a third-round comp pick this year because of it. Um, but Fowler had three sacks, eight quarterback hits, four tackles for loss in 14 games. You know, and and Raheem Morris, you know, working with the defense uh, and working with, you know, guys like Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett. So certainly having uh, not, you know, similar in the terms of the personnel with uh, centering things around an elite de- defensive tackle, but uh, what, what exactly went wrong with Dante Fowler this year? Yeah, I think that, you know, Fowler made it clear toward the end of the year. And I think Morris is, is a pretty straightforward guy. And he made it clear. I think that Fowler didn't play up to his potential this year, which is obvious when you look at the numbers, right? Um, mm-hmm. But he also made it clear, Fowler, that he has been dealing with an injury throughout the year that he felt slowed him down. Um, and I think that he is so dependent on his speed and athleticism that even being slowed down a little bit definitely hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also wasn't helped by the larger issues this defense had, um, you know, because they they cut tack mckinley and because mckinley was really only healthy for a very small slice of the season you know your defensive end rotation um outside of fowler was stephen means who's a good player but you know a journeyman really a part of a rotation for most teams alan bailey who didn't do a whole lot um and jacob tuati mariner who is a undrafted free agent that they've been developing over the last three years and so Mm there just wasn't a lot of punch there. Um, and I think when Jarrett wasn't in the game, there just wasn't a lot of pass rushing punch on that defensive line in general. So with Fowler, I think it's an issue of circumstance. I think it's an inju- issue of injury. And I think it's an issue of, you know, personnel around him. There just weren't a lot of guys freeing him up to do great work either. Um, there, speaking of just some of those guys that are around, uh, Dante Fowler last year. And one of the things that I'm noticing with the Atlanta Falcons defense seems to be that they are a, a young, you know, very young unit. And it seems like not a lot of guys who would hit that uh, 30 year mark, like uh, myself and, and uh, a lot of us out there have by now, um, you know, not a lot of players who were super experienced or highly rated even going into the season. Um, but some of them will be hitting free agency or, you know, 
potentially just did as of today. Uh, and maybe there would be some connection with Raheem Morris and any of these players. Uh, the most notable of which that you've mentioned being, I think, safety Keanu Neal, who has, you know, struggled with injuries uh, throughout his career, but also provided a good amount of value when he is available. And I don't know where the Rams would sit with that because John Johnson is a free agent. And if they were to lose John Johnson, which is very possible to do and they wanted to place somebody there at free safety well, where would Keanu Neal fit best uh, at the strong safety role and, and is he a trustable trustworthy player given his injury history yeah I think um, you know that's a great question I think it's also worth noting too for for Morris that there are four I think Falcons free agent safeties um, Neil is obviously the most appealing by far, and I, I'll tackle him first, but he is a player that I think just had two freak injuries. And this past year, he was pretty healthy, um, finally, and played really well, I thought. Um, and he's still coming off two straight years of major injuries. So I think it's fair to expect that he'll bounce back a little further this next year. Really a good fit at the strong safety position. Um, not the, you know, not the best guy in coverage, certainly, but really an enforcer, a hard hitter, great in run support, can rush the passer if you ask him to, um, a valuable guy. So, you know, if you are going to lose some talent at the safety position and the Falcons may very well not resign him, um, they could seem to be pretty intent on starting over at safety then he, he would be somebody I could see being on the Rams radar and justifiably. Mm. So um, certainly with the Stafford acquisition, it seems like a team that wants to win right now. And I think that Neil if healthy helps you do that. Um, but it's also worth noting that um, Ricardo Allen, who's man free safety position for the Falcons for uh, I think going on six seasons now just was released by the team today. Um, he's a really great locker room guy, still a decent player somebody that I think Morris likes a lot. Um, Sherrod Neesman, who's a capable safety in his own right, good special teamer. And uh, DeMonte Casey as well, who lost last year due to injury, but if he's healthy, is a good player, had seven interceptions a couple of years back. Um, these guys are all out there. Morris is very familiar with all of them. So it's it feels like a good bet to me that one of them at least will end up with the Rams. Neil's just definitely the one you want. Yeah. I'm curious also if there's any uh, life left in a couple other uh, Falcons or former Falcons. One player who might become available on the market would be perhaps cornerback Desmond Trufant. He spent a lot of time in Atlanta, most of his career, obviously. And maybe that's somebody else that uh, Raheem Morris would be interested in. Do you think that Desmond Trufant could still have value as a starting cornerback in the NFL? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's a tricky one for me. Um, Trufant is a player. I think he, 
he was not the player Falcons fans wanted in the 2013 NFL draft. And I think they kind of held that against him for years. He was a really good corner for a long time for Atlanta. Who would be the and uh, I think player if they, they had, had him. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't even remember at this point, just that <laughs> it was, they were disappointed in him. And then many fans felt that Robert Alford, who was picked one round after him would be the better player. Uh-huh. Alford was a good player. He wasn't as good as Trufant. Um, and I think if Trufant had been there for the Super Bowl against the Patriots, yeah. might have been a, a different outcome, um, yeah. given how close that was. So regrettable. But I look at him now, and he was doing quite well in 2019 before he got hurt. But uh, based on what I saw from him in Detroit last year, you know, he only played six games. I, I didn't think he played particularly well when he played. So uh-huh. you're talking about a guy who's going to be 31, has only played 15 combined games the last two seasons. The talent, in my mind, is unquestionably there, but I think that you have to get him on you know, a pretty reasonable deal um, and see if he can stay healthy and deliver that for you. I, I would not be totally convinced that he can at this stage of his career. Yeah, and the Rams, you know, they'll have some need just because Troy Hill is a free agent and – Darius Williams is a restricted free agent, and they don't really have any depth other than uh, 2019 third-rounder David Long, who hasn't played in his first two years, really. So another cornerback, and this is just not necessarily someone who would be that exciting to Rams fans, but is a former first-rounder. Darquez Denard, was there anything there with Denard? Uh, yeah, Denard, again, unfortunately was hurt um, a good chunk of the year. He started off the season very strong for the Falcons, looked really good in coverage, um, especially against the Bears, which I, I guess, you know, we both know that it's not too hard to look great against the Bears. But uh-huh. um, he certainly started off well, got hurt, didn't look the same down the stretch, but I think he's a guy that, you know, if you're going to have him sort of play that nickel corner role, if he's healthy, is a, is a good enough player to justify an investment in him. Um, you know, certainly I thought that if he had stayed healthy, he would have provided a lot of value for the Falcons last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a million questions at cornerback. They were heavily reliant on another guy who's hitting free agency, um, Bleedy Ray, Ray Wilson, who I think was the fifth cornerback going into the year, but ended up having to play a major role with the injuries. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that Raheem Morris might be interested in. Led the team, I believe, in interceptions last year, somewhat improbably. Um, <laughs> but Denard is a guy, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a question of the price tag and, again, health. I don't believe that he's played a full season in is it the last three years. So yeah. these guys are, are guys that Morris is familiar with. Certainly Trufant, he knows him quite well. Denard maybe a little bit less so, but it's can you get them for an incentive-heavy deal? Um, because if they are healthy, they can play well for you. But if not, um, that's regrettable, right? Were you uh, guys pretty excited with uh, the first season of AJ Terrell, the corner first-round cornerback? How did that go? I thought it went pretty well. This is another case, and I don't know if Rams fans are the same way as Falcons fans or not, but we have sort of this curious hang up I think with with every cornerback that isn't Deion Sanders where um, Mm -hmm. the the mistakes get magnified blown up and so there was a lot of division in the fan base about whether AJ Terrell's rookie season was good or not Um, 
I, I, I think it's hard to argue against him being quite good in his first year. He was frequently matched up with number one receivers. There were a lot of good ones um, going up against the Falcons this year. So he had some tough matchups and I thought he acquitted himself very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very, very close to making a couple of game saving interceptions, including against that, the the chiefs in that game that they yeah. almost won out of nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, really promising rookie season for him just needs to work on his hands a little bit, but he's, he's the only, you know, sure thing that they've got at the cornerback position. So I, I am very excited about him. Um, I also want to get your thoughts on another Falcon. He doesn't play defense, but the Rams and uh, several other teams in the NFC West and a lot of teams in the NFL. And I think that's why um, this position is so highly sought after right now. If you don't have one, uh, which is the center position, the Rams have Austin Blythe as a center. They have managed to get several great years out of Andrew Whitworth after he turned 36. Um, Alex Mack is right there around 36. Uh, is he still a capable player, a center, or, and is that a guy who uh, you expect to stay in Atlanta? I don't think he'll be back in Atlanta. I think that this this team has already made it pretty clear that they're going to to move in a new direction probably at every position that they can um, reasonably do so. And, and Mac, you know, with his likely expense and the fact that he has been slowly, but definitely declining in recent years. Um, I, I don't expect him to be back unless he meets a very cool market. They did draft Matt Hennessy out of temple in the third round last year. And mm. he's the, the, the heir apparent at center, whether he gets that shot this year or not remains to be seen, but that's, the hope um but i do think that mac is still a very capable player i think at his absolute worst last year um you know he was an average starting center and and most of the time he's he's much better than that he's just very reliable um he's aged very gracefully i think and so you know the the couple of concussions that i think he suffered late in the year that's a concern but um if he's healthy and you're sensing a theme with all these guys, I guess, if he's healthy, um, <laughs> he's a player that I, I could definitely see the Rams being interested in, you know, Morris knows him well, you know, that he's going to give you, um, you know, close to 16 quality games. And, you know, I, I haven't seen anything that indicates to me that he's suddenly going to fall off the face of the earth because the decline has been slight and it's been, you know, pretty sustained since 2016, but he's still one of the better centers in the league. I think that's a a tough position to get right. Yeah. Um, And another player on the Falcons offense that was uh, behind Alex Mack, uh, also known as modern day Steven Jackson for going from the Rams to the Falcons is Todd Gurley. What were your thoughts there for uh, Rams fans curious uh, on that? probable one season of Todd Gurley. Yeah, that was a, so it was an interesting signing. Um, and I kept an open mind about it. Um, but you know, my, my sense was that Gurley certainly was not going to be the same back that he was in say 2018. Um, and that the, the signing was heavily motivated by a desire to make Georgia fans happy because he's mm-hmm. a, a local legend. 
um, happily, you know, early on in the season when he was getting a significant workload and scoring a lot, um, you know, it looked like even if he was not the same guy, he certainly was the better back um, compared to Devonta Freeman the year before who the team had cut. Um, but unfortunately, as, as time wore on and certainly as um, Dan Quinn exited, it was almost instantaneous, actually, the way the offense changed, mm. which is funny because Derek Cotter was the only coordinator who remained with the team um, after Quinn was gone. Morris was upgraded from defensive coordinator, obviously, to head coach. They fired the special teams coordinator after that um, onside kick fiasco in Dallas. But, you know, Gurley did start to get phased out of the game plan. It looked like he was dealing with some injuries for a while. There were a couple of mental mistakes. Um, he scored a touchdown against Detroit um, when they didn't necessarily want him to. And, uh, you know, so it, it, he did not have, on balance, a great year. And by the end, he was almost a total non-factor in the game plan. So I think going forward, um, you know, with Gurley, you have to know that you're getting a player that you need his snaps to be managed. But I think the caveat here is, too, Dirk Cutter's offense is a million years behind the current um, mm -hmm. NFL landscape in terms of how creative he was with using his backs. Um, he almost yeah. never used Gurley. Is it mind blowing um, that uh, Dirk? Is that just mind blowing that Dirk Cutter is uh, getting hired? I mean, did that? Did did you think about stopping as a fan when Dirk Cutter was back as the offensive coordinator? Yeah, it, it is mind blowing to me. Um, I, I think that the plan for the Falcons, you know, because we we saw Dirk Cutter in Atlanta from 2012 to 2014, and yeah. that was you know that's an eternity ago in NFL time, and he was fine then, but by the end of it, he had gotten pretty stale. Um, but, you know, I, I think the other piece with Cutter is that he was a backup plan. I, I think Gary Kubiak was the the obvious target for the Falcons. They didn't think Denver was going to let him out of his contract. So I, I don't want to say they panicked, but they went with a familiar face in Cutter. It was a, a puzzling hire at the time. I thought, you know, hopefully he can just maintain a level of performance from Steve Sarkeesian, mm -hmm. maybe iron out a few of his flaws. But it, it really is like he was one of those guys um, that he just kept getting promoted upward for reasons that were never clear. You know, he was the Buccaneers head coach for a few years out of nowhere. Yeah. And his return to Atlanta, just it was very clear that yeah, it's an antiquated system. It depends on your quarterback dropping back, you know, 620 times a year and absorbing a lot of punishment. Mm -hmm. He runs in predictable times we by the end of it we were all pretty sick of it <laughs> but yeah. I, it, you know i still i think that higher as much as anything really doomed dan quinn because it just was not a you know it had they never fired sarkeesian and given him time to settle in the offense probably would have been much better than it was under cutter my uh yeah i guess my last question uh dave thanks again for uh coming on to the uh pod tst my last question is kind of just a, my own curiosity here. I mean, I, I guess by listening uh, to you talk about uh, Dirk Cutter and Steve Sarkeesian uh, for a while, it kind of answered my own question, which I was going to say, aren't you, you know, just 
wouldn't you, wouldn't it be so nice if the Falcons hired like an interesting, exciting, creative offensive mind. And then of course I'm reminded as I'm making that thought that the Falcons did hire uh, Arthur Smith uh, to be the head coach and run the offense. So it kind of answers my question, I guess, but given the current state of quarterbacks like Matthew Stafford telling the lions, I'm done with this nonsense, send me to a good team. Um, and you know, and whether or not people will agree or disagree, uh, he, he certainly believes that the Rams are a, a good team. And so with, you know, Tom Brady trying to go out and, and definitely picking a spot where he could be successful before he retires. And, you know, this seems to be, yeah, Philip rivers, the year before we know that this trend is happening. This is obviously happening. What, what is it that keeps Matt Ryan from having that conversation with the Falcons? Is it that he feels that despite being four and 12 last year, um, that with Arthur Smith, with, you know, with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, that at the very least, uh, he relies on, he believes that the Falcons will give him a Super Bowl in the next two to three years, or is it just pure loyalty to Atlanta? What exactly keeps Matt Ryan from having that conversation? Yeah, I think it's a, a multifaceted thing. I think Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, is a guy who is extremely loyal. Um, and historically, I, I think as time went on with Thomas Dimitrov and and Dan Quinn in those roles, I, I think Blank began to take more of a hands-on role. I know when he said that Julio Jones would be a Falcon for life, there was a sense that he had undercut the team's leverage um, mm -hmm. in contract negotiations with him. And I think he's felt that way about Ryan too. I think that, you know, the team has also quietly built a team that Ryan likes to play for. They've still given him a ton of weapons in the passing game. It, there was a sense that even if he wasn't directly involved in it, Cutter was a hire made to make him happy because he liked Dirk Cutter. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, the fact that he's been productive, the fact that he's been healthy, the fact that this team it's been a few years now, right? But they were consistent winners in his career, kind of kept him happy. I, I think Atlanta's his home. He clearly cares about being there and he's a fairly laid back guy. So you take all those things together and there's been no rush for him to get out of town. Um, and certainly they've, they've paid him well. But I think from the Falcons perspective, they've also made it very clear that they want Matt Ryan here, that they want to win with Matt Ryan and I think the calculus is beginning to change a little bit because you have the new coach and the new GM who are not saying, you know, they're saying Matt Ryan will be here this year, which is what we're expecting, but they're not saying they're going to avoid drafting a quarterback at number four mm -hmm. or that they won't go out and get his, you know, his successor for 2022. So, you know, what Ryan might see if the Falcons do pick a guy at number four um, is the writing on the wall. And then he may start, you know, champing at the bit to get out of Atlanta beyond the season. And, and that sort of creates an awkward situation, right? Because he's here. The Falcons don't seem to have any interest in trading him because of the dead money, because they want to compete this year. But it, there's a decent chance that they will go ahead and get a quarterback that they feel can take over from him in a year or two's time. I mean, we and talk, so I mean, at that you look point, at it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. you got, uh, 
I mean, Drew Brees probably retired. Tom Brady, he has to do something at some point, you would think. I mean, it's not that even that even if Matt Ryan is 35-36, it's not that hard to imagine him being the best quarterback in the division within a year or two. I mean, does that give you I mean, how split are fans right now on using that pick on a quarterback when you know that using it on you know, I mean, if the Falcons had been in a position to draft Devin White a couple of years ago, you could look at that player and say, like, yeah, if you had the opportunity to draft Devin White, if that's Micah Parsons, if that's one of these other players, then you're looking at a position for the Falcons where it's like, okay, they could they could be missing out on the next Matt Ryan or they could be missing out on the next Devin White, but the current Matt Ryan is still there. I mean, how split are fans on using that pick on a quarterback? Pretty split. Um, it, it's sort of as you'd expect. There's, there's a, I won't call it a war in the fan base, but it's pretty close to it over whether using a pick on the quarterback at number four, knowing that at least for part of this year, if not the whole year, if not even two years, that player is going to sit. Um, that doesn't sit well with a lot of fans, A, because they think Ryan can still play, which he can, and that he's durable and will age well, which I think is likely true. Um, and because using the number four pick on, you know, a player that, you know, would be the first top five quarterback in, in many years to sit, um, I, I think rankles people because of that possible missed opportunity because of how many holes this roster has. Um, on the other side of the fence, though, you have people who say, look at all the quarterbacks changing teams, look at how the window you know, even if it wasn't apparent at the time, closed for somebody like Drew Brees, who really became the limiting factor for a very good Saints team um, over the last couple of years. Look at Ben Roethlisberger, where the same thing is happening, and say you you have to, if you have the opportunity to pick in the top five in what is considered to be a good quarterback class, you know, you've got to address that position. And, you know, if he sits for a year, so what? You've got him for for four years after that, before you have to think about the next contract, um, hopefully. And, you know, it's time to make the right choice. And, you know, if by some miracle they're excellent this year and Ryan is fantastic again, back to MVP form, then you have a top quarterback to deal. So, you know, it is really split between those two camps. I would say the let's draft a quarterback camp is a little bit stronger um, just because mm -hmm. of Ryan's age, but there is, there is definitely, there's no consensus on what this team should do. And for their part, the front office is very wisely not saying anything about what they actually plan to do. So yeah. um, no outcome would truly surprise me. Yeah. I just think I, Ryan will be here this year. That is literally all I can feel comfortable saying. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a good point with, I mean, after the Tom Brady and uh, several moves here in the last year at quarterback and the rising contracts of quarterbacks, it could come to the point, the breaking point, and maybe two, three years from down from the line, the idea of passing on a quarterback in the draft won't be as dire if it turns out that you might be able to get somebody like Matt Ryan in free agency in two years or three years, you know, and he's still viable and he's still able to play if quarterbacks have managed to sort of force their way into better situations more often. But I, I guess we'll see exactly how that plays out. The Falcons are an interesting team and uh, obviously a team that 
somehow has uh, intertwined themselves with the Rams quite a lot here in the last year, although I guess some of those strings are being untied right now. Um, that's it for uh, my interview here with you, Dave. Uh, anything you'd like to uh, plug out there to uh, Rams fans? No, just uh, I would say that Raheem Morris um, is a great coach, and, and I think that the fact that he took over for a Falcons team that was 0-5 and really looked awful and just making awful decisions through those five games and, you know, really restored some discipline, got some wins out of them, had that impressive effort against the Chiefs that I think, you know, no team in the few years before that would have been able to manage. Um, it all speaks to who he is as a coach. So I was excited to see him land that defensive coordinator job with you guys. I think it's a good landing spot for him. And um, I hope he's as good as good for you guys as he was for us this year. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of pod TST. Thank you, Dave Choate and uh, the Falcoholic and uh, come back next week for another episode of the weekly Rams podcast.